0: Hi friends, welcome to Not-So-Molly Mormon Podcast. This is Katie, and thank you for being here. I hope you all survived conference weekend. Um, I'm not really going to talk about it much here because it's a mini set, obviously, but I'm sure Sarah and I will touch on that later in the coming weeks, but it's always good to get through those because they're crazy. Okay, so today's letter comes from Another lovely listener named Sarah, we always love the people named Sarah, right? (laughs) She writes, hi, your podcast is the first time I've found some answers I've been looking for and I love it. Oh, well, good. I went to graduate school from 2006 to 2009 with several classmates from BYU and two professors who are LDS. There was apparently quite the pipeline from BYU to Kansas State for students interested in pursuing a degree in landscape architecture. Um, I just wanted to say here that, yeah, actually Kansas State, my, it's, I think it's near, um, like Independence, Missouri, kind of that area. And I remember my brother, actually, he served his mission in Independence, Missouri. And while he was there, he sort of became like a Kansas State fan. So I don't know if that has anything to do with one or the other, if that's just a coincidence, but yeah, kind of interesting. So she writes, I have never been Mormon, and prior to attending graduate school, never really have known any Mormons. The program was intense, and students spent probably 60 hours a week together. The more I got to know the LDS students, the more fascinated I became with the bits of their culture they revealed to me. I remember being shocked when I learned that my friend was seriously considering marriage to a guy she had been on just two dates with. Oh, yeah, that's a real thing. It's like, I think because you're so charged up with, like, sexual tension, too, because you can't have sex. But also, it's like the main goal is just to get married. So they jump to it super, super quickly. (laughs) Anyway, that's how I was first exposed to Mormonism, and my curiosity was sparked further by the cold podcast about the disappearance of Susan Powell. I was very surprised by the vast quantity of journals left behind by the key players in this story, and I have heard that it is a part of Mormon culture. Can you explain that? Is it true? And she also writes, I do know that Sarah has kept many amazing journals (laughs) with a smiley face. Yeah, so that is definitely true. So For listeners, if you haven't heard of the case of the disappearance of Susan Powell, it's so fascinating, and the cold podcast is great. I actually am preparing a full-length episode like for future where I um, tell Sarah about that case because it's crazy. It's another sort of Mormon true crime uh, story, but anyway... So yes, they, that is very much a part of Mormon culture and even Mormon teachings, I would say, is that you should keep a journal. Um, even here on... Let's see, where did I put it? Um. So yeah, I have here some major reasons that Mormons are taught to keep a journal. Um, it specifically actually was asked by the Prophet Spencer W. Kimball. He said every person should keep a journal and every person can keep a journal. It says here, they even quote here in their scriptures, 2 Nephi 25-23, it says, For we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace we are saved after all we can do. So a lot of what I could find on the church's website about this, which I pretty much knew already is that the main reason they want you to keep a journal is to write about why you believe the church is true and you'll probably have noticed that from when Sarah reads her journal entries is that almost every entry has something about the church how she knows the church is true or how she needs to be better because of something the church has taught her Um And so you're supposed to, they say, bear your testimony in your journal. And I think they do this for many, for a few reasons, but for one, to kind of keep you believing because you're reaffirming it to yourself over and over every single day. And then also for others to read and for them to think oh well she believed it so much so I should believe it too if it was like your mother or something they even have in here things that you should always write in your journal things like um you should write your faith promoting stories your testimony your personal feelings like your belief in God and Joseph Smith and things like that So that's the main thing they do when they teach about journaling and they do have like special journals that you can buy from the church. I remember I had a few of these growing up. They have them for different ages. I think I got my first really nice journal when I was eight years old when I got baptized and you're supposed to, yeah, write in it every single day. Now with the case of like Susan Powell and all of the other players in that story, I it's fortunate that they wrote about and especially she wrote about other things in her life just besides the church because i think that gives some insight as to what was actually going on in her life before her disappearance and i do think that journaling is good a good exercise and it's very healthy and how it can help you be introspective but i also think that it should be about yourself and not about or not solely about your religion. Okay, so back to the letter. Um, She says, I've also wondered how much Mormon culture might have played into Susan's story and also the higher rates from what I heard on the cold podcast of domestic abuse in the state of Utah. If you have any thoughts, I'd love to hear them. So I have some statistics here about domestic abuse um, in Utah. It says here, Every year, approximately 80 Utah children witnessed the murder or attempted murder of their mother. Since 2000, at least 42% of adult homicides in Utah were domestic violence related. And between 2010 and 2013, 88% of domestic violence homicide perpetrators were male. No surprise there. Um, 39% had a criminal domestic violence history, 22% of these murderers were previously ordered to treatment by the court, and in 22% of the cases, children were either involved or witnessed the homicide. And 30% of the perpetrators died by suicide after committing the homicide. So I think that is quite alarming. Um, And of course, I'm no expert. All I can do is speculate, but I think, you know, there... (sighs) It's so tough because there are many wonderful, loving um, Mormon men, husbands, and fathers. But uh, just like any other situation, there are very controlling and abusive men. And I think it doesn't help that they have the priesthood. And so, you know, that is the power of God. And they're supposed to be the head of the household. And that can, I think, really get to someone's ego and make them even more um, domineering, aggressive, and controlling in many cases. So again, not an expert, but that's just, would be my two cents. Um, She writes, I really love how you explain things so I can understand as a very curious, never Mormon person, and I also love getting your perspectives from both sides of the line. Thanks for the work you do. Oh, thank you, Sarah. I really appreciate, I we love that uh, people from all different backgrounds listen to the podcast. It really is amazing and quite flattering. So thank you and thank you for your questions. I hope I answered them sufficiently. Um, I didn't go in, obviously into too much detail about the Susan Powell case because I do want to do a full length episode on that. You, you guys, sorry, I just stuttered. Um, write in if you are curious about that and i can bump that up to a sooner episode that we record because it's way fascinating well thank you for being here with me i hope you all have a lovely week i hope you're all staying safe, staying inside as much as possible, and just being good to each other. <laughs> um, yeah, enjoy your week. I'll be back next week with another mini and until then, we'll see you later.